Looking Back in Time, the history show on KCLR with John Moynihan, funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office, which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwiltot, Sport and Media. Good evening, you're very welcome along to the History Show here on KCLR. I'm John Moynihan, thanks for joining me once again this week as we talk all things Kilkenny history. Coming up on this evening's show, Associate Professor of History at Dublin City University's School of History and Geography and member of the National Expert Advisory Group on Centenary Commemorations, Dr William Murphy reflects on the decade of centenaries, the successes, the controversies and the lessons learned. Senior archaeologist with Shanark Archaeology, Grace Fagan, tells us about the study that she and her colleagues are currently undertaking as they attempt to survey all of the holy wells in County Kilkenny. So all of that, plus plenty more besides over the course of the next hour, I do hope that you can stay with me. As always, I'd love your thoughts and interaction throughout the programme, so please do get in touch. You can text me on the dinnersready.ie sponsored KCLR text and WhatsApp line on 083 306 9696 or you can email the programme at thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com. Our webpage and podcast for Season 2 of the programme is up and running. You can access it at kclr96fm.com slash the hyphen history hyphen show. So you can listen back to the programme there or on the KCLR app. And this week's show will be uploaded there later this evening if you want to have another listen. So lots to get through over the course of the next hour and we'll begin with the Associate Professor of History at DCU, Dr. William Murphy. Right after this commercial break, do stay tuned. Looking back in time, the history show on KCLR, funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office, which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwiltot, Sport and Media. You're listening to the history show on KCLR with John Moynihan. And you're very welcome back to KCLR's History Show. First this evening, a conversation of reflection. Dr William Murphy, or Will as he's known by most, is an Associate Professor of History at Dublin City University's School of History and Geography. He's also a member of the National Expert Advisory Group on Centenary Commemorations. Will appears on the programme this evening as the final year of the decade of centenaries nears its end. A decade which could be described as successful, at times controversial, poignant thought-evoking, but I think most definitely everyone can agree, important. I spoke to Will recently about the decade, what he considered to be the highlights, the main areas of debate, and how he and the committee navigated their way through remembering and celebrating some of our nation's most pivotal moments. The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. My primary role over the last number of years has been as a working historian who is based here in Dublin City University and uh, I'm teaching the Irish Revolution to our students uh, but also I'm publishing on the Irish Revolution so I was doing that before the decade of centenaries came around working on things like the history of political imprisonment during the revolutionary period and, uh, you know, the decade of centenaries has brought attention to my work and has led me on to new work. So, for instance, I published a couple of books with a colleague in uh, Trinity College here uh, in Dublin and Dolan on aspects of Michael Collins, both his life and also diaries that he kept during the Irish Revolutionary period. And then for the last couple of years, I wasn't on it initially, but for the last few years, I've been on the advisory board to the Taoiseach. Um, 
who you know are a group of historians and archivists and people who are active in the area of um, sort of public institutions associated with history and so on. And we sort of attempt to advise the government around the best ways of approaching the decade and perhaps on what events might be uh, commemorated and the tone in which they might be done and advising around experts who might be invited to speak and things like that. As we, I suppose, draw to the conclusion, this is, of course, the last year of the decade of centenaries. I suppose, could you outline for us some of the highlights that you found over the last uh, nine plus years of uh, commemorations? I mean, one of the things that's quite interesting to do is it's quite difficult to pick out highlights in the sense that... um, it's been a long time, uh, and one of the things that's really interesting about it is quite how widespread the activity has been. So from, uh, I suppose, the major events that have happened, obviously, there was a lot of focus in the build-up to 1916. And I think... Um, the commemorative events around 1916 across the country uh, were carried off extremely well. Um, you know, anyone who's in Dublin on the weekend around that will remember the whole, like, hundreds of events held across the city, talks and so on, as well as the sort of pageantry uh, on uh, on O'Connell Street. But that was mirrored across the country, I'm aware, where there were events at local monuments and in local libraries and archives and so on. So 1916 was perhaps an enormous focus. But one of the things I think that's been most interesting about it has been the extent to which local communities, uh, local voluntary bodies, local libraries and archives have taken on uh, the, the decade, have picked out the aspects of it that are important in their own particular areas and have shone a light on those for, for local communities and indeed sometimes you know drawn the attention of the country generally to what's happened in their areas. Um, so, so that's been a really, really important aspect of what's happened uh, across the decade. Um, you know, the decade really has focused up uh, across 10 years. The activity of the decade has really f- uh, focused up in many ways the state the populace and professional historians on what happened in Ireland, this you know particular era of our past, uh, and it's been really interesting to see how it's played out at various levels. The state has focused on a couple of big events, like 1916, or for instance, it attempted to mark the 1918 general election, or it's attempted to mark uh, more recently, you know, the civil war in a in a reflective way. Um, But really one of the things that it has done is, I think, most successfully is that it has set a tone. So right at the beginning, uh, although I wasn't on the advisory group, right at the beginning emphasized how the, you know, the the, the decade should be observed in a measured and reflective way, how, you know, complexity should be emphasized, how there should be respect for the sacrifices of those who had... Uh, you know, contributed in the past, but also there should be a recognition that there are multiple understandings and readings of the past, and there are various traditions in the island. And sometimes we're going to disagree about our past, um, and that's absolutely fine too, as long as hopefully we try and do so respectfully and avoid triumphalism, uh, and so on. Uh, and that I think has been one of the really heartening aspects of the decade is that you know local communities have taken that on board and they have told a whole varieties of stories and they've been open to hearing other people's stories and you speak of course uh, will about um i suppose the need for respect uh, in terms of uh, commemorating um some moments in our history that perhaps uh, some people may not want to commemorate it there have been some small controversies along the way is that fair to say 
Yeah, I think there have. There have been initiatives that haven't been, you know, as been as successful as one would like, um, that haven't been greeted with simply respectful disagreement. For instance, the wall commemorating all those who died between 1916 and 1923 in Ireland, um, regardless of whether they were civilians or which sides they fought on, uh, which was erected uh, in Glasnevin in April 1916, uh, you know, has just had to be abandoned. Uh, it was abandoned last year because there were, on three occasions it was seriously vandalised in the period between 1916 and, uh, sorry, 2016 and last year. Um, so th- there's been that, that, that kind of thing which has been unfortunate. Uh, some other things I think that have been a little bit unfortunate are there's been a tendency for occasionally the commercial exploitation of the great interests that uh, has been evoked in, you know, the revolutionary era. Uh, one that spr- one that springs to mind uh, for me immediately has been, you know, a number of sportswear manufacturers who've produced a stream of unofficial GAA jerseys, for instance, with images of rebel heroes or or the GPO or whatever on the front of them. Um, and you know that doesn't make for very nuanced reflection, I think. Uh, and sometimes it's just, you know, uh, you know. Uh, you know, you know, in terms of taste, also I think it's it's quite questionable. Uh, no, you know, it's not just the sports manufacturers. It must be admitted that Cork GAA, uh, you know, cooperated in the production of a jersey around Terence Mc, with Terence McSpeedy and Tomas McCartan on the front of it back in 2020. Um, despite the fact that neither of those men had much involvement in the GAA at all when they were involved in cultural nationalism the Gaelic League or as drama um, you know so that kind of thing I think has been a little bit unfortunate but they have been the exceptions rather than the rules I think uh, for the most part uh, what we've seen has been really 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 interesting conversation and people thinking about uh, the country's past their community's past uh, but also their their families passed in many instances. Um, And I think that's been one of the ways in which people have become very aware of the complexity of the past and been really open to understanding it. They've investigated their own families and, you know, they've found out that, you know, okay, some some people, our families, no one was involved in the events of the revolutionary period at all, but other of us have found that uh, among our ancestors there's a mixture of common among members and Irish party supporters and RIC men and IRA men and men who fought in World War One, all bundled and mixed up together among our ancestors. And, uh, you know, that's been a really fascinating discovery for many of us and, you know, allowed us to think again or reflect again, you know, on the fact that, you know, people in the past were complex and, you know, people made all sorts of complex choices, like, for instance, you know, fighting in the British Army in the First World War and then coming home and joining the IRA. So, you know, it's possible to be, you know, uh, 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 it's possible to represent all sorts of aspects of the past that appear binary in in one person or in one family. Presumably the integration of local authorities, local county councils and local heritage offices was integral, I suppose, to the success of this decade of centenaries. Would that be a fair statement to make? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, local archives um, and local county councils and local libraries have been really effective uh, in taking up the ball, you know, the state has provided some money and uh, local county councils, uh, in cooperation with their local communities, uh, have been really effective at uh, providing resources, but also uh, organising events and so on. For instance, obviously, you know, 
pick any county council if you were to go up onto the onto the website uh, onto the library website you'll find all sorts of amazing resources uh, focused on the decade of centenaries um, you know the county council minutes for instance for the period are up there digitised for people to read and to, to explore Kilkenny's past through, um, through resources like that and those kind of local resources throw all sorts of nuance and different light and shade on what happened across the country uh, it's not just a, you know it's not just the story of uh, Dublin or it's not just the story of the big events but we can see how people you know across the country are responding in slightly different ways or sometimes in very different ways in very uh, in different places or, and we can see how opinion shifted across time during the revolutionary period. The, the position of women in the decade of centenaries um, produced some interesting outcomes, I, I suppose. And uh, I suppose it's an area that was perhaps maybe overlooked until this decade. Would that be a fair statement to make, do you think? Yeah, I think it's been very clear that that's been one of the most significant ways in which uh, the commemoration over the last decade has differed from previous commemorations. If we were to look back, for instance, obviously go all the way back to 19. 19- 66 and the 50th anniversary of 1916, but even some of the uh, you know the intervening commemorative events uh, tended to neglect women. Uh, so a focus on women has been really really important this time. Um, the, and there's been an emphasis on women as active participants in the conflict, um, on women as members who offered support uh, and who experienced loss, uh, women as victims of violence, um, women as prisoners, as propagandists as organisers of auxiliary organisations, as frustrated leaders and actors who got pushed aside towards the end of the revolutionary period again and started to be told, you know, it's time to return to the home and concentrate on these kind of duties. But also, for instance, on women as inspiration. So, um, you know, women who were involved with the suffragist movement in in the years before the revolution and in the early decades of the revolution, sorry, the early years of the decade indeed, um, you know, their protests uh, strategies, for instance, the hunger strike inspired nationalists who then took it up and used it in prisons themselves. So um, that's been really fantastic. Uh, so you've seen like public monuments commemorating women, but also you've seen like brilliant books on uh, you know, female activists, whether it be Constance Markovich or whether it uh, be Dorothy McCardle or whether it be uh, you know less known activists like Watford's Rosamond Jacob. Uh, and we're learning, learning more and more about them as uh, as the decade has gone on. And I suppose that's a big thing about the decade that it's involved commemorative activities in the public space, but also it has encouraged people into doing research and into publishing. And it's really shaped, I suppose, uh, it's been one of the shapers of the publishing agenda for the last decade. Any of us going to our local bookshops now, we'll find a big section, uh, a subsection within the history section, which focuses on the history of the Irish Revolution. Uh, And a lot of that is the, you know, the fruit of extraordinarily hard work by researchers uh, not just in universities like me, but people who are producing uh, absolutely brilliant local histories, uh, uh, you know, revealing what happened in their areas and so on. And just finally as well, I mean, obviously a big challenge I would have presumed um, in your remission, and indeed in the remission of the uh, Decade of Centenaries Committee would have been, I suppose, making this these stories and, and the very important moments in our history accessible and understandable and interesting to a younger audience. I presume uh, things such as social media activism and stuff would have been very important in that remit. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, things like the podcasts which you're producing yourself have been uh, absolutely crucial. Um, the One of the things that's been uh, really important is that, you know, the state has put money into archives and libraries, for instance, who have digitised materials. And then those archives and libraries have been really effective in making people aware of that material through, uh, through you know, social media and so on. And that's been picked up by uh, a whole raft of interested people who have, been, who, who have been further amplifying that message. And, you know, if you are studying in primary or secondary school now, and if you're interested in the decade of centenaries, there are amazing resources online available for you where you can go and, uh, you know, uncover your own area, uh, aspects of it, or you can, for instance, go and investigate your own family. Uh, one of the uh, most important developments, I think, across the decade has been, for instance, the release of the military service pension files, um, which are the pension files of those uh, people who were uh, either uh, who were claiming pensions because they simply fought or active in the War of Independence, or the Civil War, or claiming pensions because they were injured uh, or wounded during those periods. And there's an extraordinary treasure trove of uh, material up there. Um, and, you know, it's not just that they're stashed away in some archive up in Dublin, but in actual fact they're being digitised, uh, they're being very brilliantly described by the archivists who are, who are looking at them. So they're very easily manageable and accessible by students who can, you know, discover, use them to either discover about their own families or they can use them to explore uh, the people who are active in their area or who can use them to explore, you know, any number of aspects of the revolution that they might be interested in. And a very big thank you to Associate Professor of History at Dublin City University and member of the National Expert Advisory Group on Centenary Commemorations, Dr. William Murphy, for joining us on the programme this week and giving his thoughts and reflections on the last 10 years of commemorations. We're not quite finished yet, though, and I would encourage everyone to check out decadeofcentenaries.com for more information on what's still to come before the programme draws to a close. That's it for part one of the programme, but do join me again in part two, where I'll be speaking to senior archaeologist with Chanark Archaeology, Grace Fagan, about her company's attempt to survey all of the holy wells in County Kilkenny. I'll talk to you in a couple of minutes. You're listening to The History Show on KCLR, funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office, which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwaeltoc, Sport and Media. You're listening to The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. And you're very welcome back to KCLR's History Show. My next item relates to Kilkenny's Holy Wells and the attempts by one local team to survey and document each of them. Grace Fagan is a senior archaeologist with Shanark Archaeology, a consultancy based in Kilkenny which provides heritage services to various clientele, including services such as geophysics, testing, excavation and assessment. The Heritage Office in Kilkenny County Council have commissioned Shanark Archaeology to undertake a study and survey all of Kilkenny's holy wells. This survey is being co-funded by the Heritage Council under the County Heritage Plan Programme. There are over 112 recorded holy well sites in County Kilkenny, so it has been and continues to be a large volume of work for the team at Shanark to get the job done. 
But as you'll be hearing, there's still time for you to help. I spoke to Grace Fagan recently and she told me more about the project. Wednesday nights from 6, this is KCLR's History Show. Make a gentle sound, we'll hear our souls together. We've been doing the work since about June of this year, just gone. So we had the benefit of some good weather and some not so good weather over the summer to do our field work, which was really, I suppose, one of the first steps that we took in this. So what we were asked to do was to look at the record of monuments and places, which is a record and a database that the National Monument Service have, and it's available for everyone to to view and to review online. Um, And it's mapping-based, so people can go to archaeology.ie and go to the Historic Environment Viewer And I would encourage everyone to do it if they have any interest in history or archaeology. It is a stunning resource. And on that resource, we established very quickly that there are over 112 uh, recorded holy well sites in County Kilkenny. And on that mapping, we can see these little dots. And that tells us where the holy wells have been recorded. And they've been recorded by various different means over the last 100 or so years. I mean, it's all based initially on the Ordnance Survey maps, which I'm sure people are familiar with. Um, They were undertaken in the mid-1800s, an incredible resource, a really accurate and interesting resource. Again, it's freely available for people to view. And sites like churches, and holy wells and graveyards and castles and all kinds of antiquities were marked on these maps. And that's the initial step, I suppose, we have a location. And then by looking at the record of monuments and places, with if you click onto any of these sites, a little window will pop up on the, uh, on the website and it will tell you if there is any additional information that has been collected about that particular site. And in the case of the Holy Wells, when we're lucky, we'll get some really interesting information, like if there's a saint associated with this Holy Well, if there's a name, like St. Fiacra or St. Canis or, um, or whatever it may be. And we might also get some information about the activities associated with that well. Um, if there was a particular day on which it was usually visited by people, uh, also known as its pattern day, and and if there were any curative powers associated with the water at that well. And these are the really peculiar uh, characteristics, I suppose, of of these kinds of sites because they're, they're all over the country. There isn't a parish in the country that doesn't have, uh, or at least at one time had, one of these sites. 
the common link with all of them is that there is or there was at one point a water source. This might have been a spring. This might have been um, a kind of, uh, you know, a, a boggy spot even. It, it could be seasonal. It could be there in the winter and not there in the drier summer months. But it's a water source of some sort. And what makes the site a holy well is that there is some sort of a ritual practice associated with it, that people will have visited it in the belief that, as I said, there might be some sort of curative power associated with the water. Some of them are particularly good for, or it's believed that the water can cure problems with your eyes or headaches or skin conditions or, you know, all different sorts of, of beliefs and practices. And again, often there's a particular day of the year um, where people would gather or would visit and, uh, and venerate uh, at these sites. While still popular to a certain extent, I don't think it's too controversial a thing to suggest that holy wells perhaps aren't as well visited today or perhaps have the same allure for the public that they may have once had. Therefore, many of them have probably disappeared from public consciousness. Is that why you're carrying out this exercise? The holy wells, like any um, monument in in our landscape, you know, they are they are they can be vulnerable, and I suppose holy wells maybe even more so than other upstanding sites like a castle or a ring fort. The holy wells, as I said, they're they're associated with a, a, a water source, and water sources can change and they can disappear. Um, through different interventions in the landscape, like building and development and so on. Um, streams can be diverted uh, and water tables can change. So it's certainly part of the the reasoning behind undertaking this project is to, yeah, at right now, at this point in time, to understand what sites are out there. And even the sites that have been recorded, and as I said, some of them are recorded from having been located on the first edition ordnance survey maps in the 1800s you know are they still there or have they gone are they currently being visited or is there any even oral history or tradition in the area of the well having been there and even the wells that are still visible and still you know with a water source associated with them do people still visit them? And we found through our work, our field work, a huge variation in that. Some wells are hugely kind of elaborate, I suppose. I mean, the most, the one that springs to mind is Kenny's Well here, just outside town in Kilkenny on the Kenny's Well Road. You know, it's. I think I don't know if anybody doesn't know where it is, and you know, I think a lot of people would still collect the water there and bring it home um, and use it for, you know, religious purposes. And there's a little structure there. There's a little um, covering. It's painted white. It's, you know, it's, it's publicly accessible and it's still visited on a regular basis. But other sites then, you know, a lot of them are in the countryside and in the county. They're on private property. 
you know they might be off the beaten track and they're some of them are far more difficult to access than others so while as i said this survey was really important to kind of at this point in time what is the condition and what are the traditions associated with these sites to then look at the future and possibly can some of these sites be made more accessible to people can we produce possibly you know um some sort of a trail or a map of the more accessible and more interesting sites out there as you've mentioned grace the project closes at the end of october what stage of completion are you at and when can the public see the results of your team's work so our our field work is i'd say 95% completed we've visited over um 100 sites uh in the county and in the city so far we've also received a number of contributions from the public we've set up a, a facebook page and um, the holy wells of kilkenny that people have been contributing to over the last few months we also have a an email address um holywells um dot shanark at gmail.com that people have been feeding into and we've gotten some really interesting contributions and we have a few sites that we need to possibly revisit uh, a few parishes that we need to take a closer look at um, and we have to establish you know because not all wells are holy wells you know there are some wells that are you know for accessing drinking water um, or they have some sort of a spa association but they're not necessarily affiliated with a saint or a religious purpose. So we need to kind of look at uh, areas that members of the public have highlighted to us and establish if they are actually unrecorded holy wells or not. So we're at a really interesting point of the project now where we're going to be able to add, possibly add to that record of monuments and places um, and that that in, there will be new dots on that map uh, for people to to look at and for people to to know that there are holy wells out there that we previously weren't that weren't officially I suppose recorded. So that work is happening right now in 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 the next coming weeks, and uh, we hope to produce a report that will be um, submitted to the heritage officer of all of the the work done so far. But what's really nice about this project is it isn't going to just be uh, a report on a shelf, you know, in the library, which it will be, uh, but it will also be available to people online through the heritage maps website run by the Heritage Council and through the archaeology.ie um, historic environment viewer run by the National Monument Service and as I said that information is freely accessible to the public. What are the main challenges facing you and your team in Shanark Archaeology in terms of this project that you're undertaking? It's, it's a different project for us. Generally speaking we're working usually we're working with a developer and we're uh, helping them meet the conditions of their their planning application, you know, and we we we're we have very specific sources and a kind of a, a scheme of work that we do to produce what needs to be produced. In this instance, we had a very clear brief, but what was very different for us was the engagement with the public. We generally wouldn't um, be getting our primary information for our reports 
from members of the public and members of the local community. So it's been fantastic to have that opportunity on this project. We ran a lovely uh, event during Heritage Week. We were uh, on the on the Saturday. We were out at John's Well, a beautiful holy well out at John's Well, and we invited people to come along and have chats with us and which they did and we spoke to them about the project that we were undertaking and it wasn't a talk I wasn't standing there talking at people it was very much an invitation and a request and asking people to feed back to us about their knowledge of holy wells and again any that we previously didn't know about and we learned so much we had fantastic chats with people and we got to learn about their their own traditions and stories associated with these sites so there was a much more kind of you know an oral history element and a tradition and folklore element to this project than we would be normally used to incorporating in our usual work. You mentioned earlier how people can find out more about the project would you mind reminding our listeners of that again please? We have a, a Facebook page which is Holy Wells of Kilkenny And um, that's where people have been posting photographs and information about wells that they know about and kind of pointing them in our direction. And we've got uh, we've followed up on a few of those already and we're very happy to hear more if people uh, want to contribute to that. People can also email us directly on holywells.shanark, that's S-H-A-N-A-R-C at gmail.com. And... While we're going to be producing and finalising this report in the coming weeks, we will also, within the report, we'll be making recommendations and suggestions of what could happen next. You know, this is only phase one. So if people had any thoughts or feelings about what they would like to see happening as a result of this, um, those avenues, the email and the Facebook page would be great uh, venues for people to to share that with us. And I know uh, Regina Fitzpatrick's fantastic heritage officer. She'd be delighted to, uh, to incorporate all of that information into possibly a next phase next year. The water make a gentle sound. We'll heal our souls together. Let's go down to the holy well down among the heather. Hear the water make a gentle sound. We'll heal our souls together. A huge word of thanks to senior archaeologist with Shanark Archaeology, Grace Fagan there, for telling us more about her team's work in studying and surveying all of the 112 recorded mass paths in County Kilkenny. The History Show on KCLOR, funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office, which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Grail Talk, Sport and Media.